It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, Torin. So, Julie, let me tell you, I got to be uh, very honest. I'm, I'm excited because we are uh, recording our last pod of 2019. And in many ways, to me, this is probably one of the most important pods for 2019. And, and it's really because of the subject matter. And and I know that all of what we talk about is important. All of the articles and the stories from the school teachers and the various places that have had those infractions that we highlighted, the companies where we've had leadership call people, uh, you know, let's just say derogatory terms. And we've had a variety of lawsuits in that regard. We've talked about pay inequality. We've talked about employing those with disabilities. But this is our first time having someone intimately involved with focusing on employing individuals that are returning to the workplace with with a criminal background. And I'm really, really excited about uh, this conversation today. Yeah, me too. I mean, a first of all, wow, a whole year we've we've gotten under our belts, and I can just—it's it, so amazing how much better we are at this than we were in January. Yeah, and so yeah. I'm very excited, and I do. This is a a topic that's near and dear to my heart, as I know it is yours. So I'm very excited. I think it's a perfect way to end the year because we're talking about how do we give, how do we reengage, how do we get great talent. And this is such a prime talent pool that really needs opportunity, but also really brings a lot to the table. So you want to kick us off yeah, with yeah. Our, our very special guest? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, like I said a moment ago, we've, we've most certainly have covered the formerly incarcerated from a variety of angles. We've talked First Step Act. We, we highlighted yep. some of the winners and losers in that regard. Uh, we've talked about rehabilitation and reskilling. Uh, individuals coming out of the criminal uh, justice system, if you will. And then we've also talked about platforms like 70 million jobs. And today we have an opportunity to spend some time with another member of the 70 million jobs team. And 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 I enjoyed my time of writing blog posts on the 70 million jobs website. I enjoyed having lunch and dinner with Richard Bronson, founder of 70 million jobs. But today I'm going to enjoy having a conversation with Adrian Hatter. Adrian, welcome to Crazy and the King. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Adrian actually serves as community outreach manager, uh, and you can find uh, the organization on Twitter at 70 million spelled out jobs. Uh, you can find them on the web at 70millionjobs.com. Now, Adrian, listen, in your uh, email signature, you have several article links. That suggests that you've been quite busy. What do you say? I would say that we absolutely have. Um, we you know, find it very interesting that when we first launched 70 Million Jobs, you know, we didn't really have to put much effort in the way of finding press. 
the press kind of came to us, which told us pretty quickly off the bat here that we were on to something exciting uh, that a lot of people were thinking about. I mean, when you have, you know, Fortune magazine come to you wanting to write a story about you, you know, it's it's pretty indicative that you're going to have a busy week, if not year. Yeah. So let me ask you, when you say um, the press was coming to you, what's your history with 70 million jobs? Have you been there since the very beginning? So I was one of the first team members. Uh, The company launched in 2016. I joined late 2017. Uh, So I've been with the team for a couple of years. And we've seen, I've seen the, the rise and the fall, everything in between, you know, of a typical startup. But, you know, most of the time we've seen nothing but growth and support. And it's been pretty awesome to to, to watch the, the conversations change and to see the engagement that we've had and the growth that we've experienced. Well, let's talk a little bit about that growth. And, and when you do it, Adrian, talk uh, about the company. Just really explain to listeners who is 70 million jobs and then let that run you right into growth. And then I'm going to shut up and let Julie jump in. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So 70 million jobs is the first national for-profit employment platforms specifically for individuals with criminal records. So what that means is we are operating a national platform wherein we are gathering a user base, um, you know, that includes the 70 million Americans with a criminal record, which fun fact is about one in three adults in the United States. Um, And what we're doing through gathering that user base on our platform is then turning around to employers who have hundreds, if not thousands, of job opportunities that are open right now, particularly in a time of low unemployment. They are, you know, in an all-out talent war. And we're turning to them and we're saying, hey, look, we've got, you know, millions of job seekers who are eager and ready to get out into the workforce. Um, You know, all you got to do is say yes. So we are connecting job seekers who've been formerly incarcerated throughout the country to job opportunities at some of the largest companies in the country. And, you know, that takes having a significant user base in order to be able to engage and retain these large companies. And, you know, we've seen Fortune 100 companies get on board. Um, you know, we have been lucky to be bolstered by a kind of changing national conversation around criminal justice. I mean, emblemized in the fact that, you know, President Trump signed the First Step Act. We've got bipartisan support here. So, you know, we are, our work has been bolstered by this national conversation happening and it's just taken off. Um, you know, it, it signals to us that this is an incredibly needed resource. Um, you know, that no matter where you are, you should have access to job opportunities, you know, that accept your background. Um, you know, we are cognizant of our employers' needs as well. And that's really where we shine. Uh, we're able to, uh, you know, attune to the needs of an employer and their existing hiring parameters and also to work to expand that too. Uh, you know, let's look at why you haven't been hiring fair chance in the past. Let's try it out. You know, let's see what works for your jobs. And, you know, let's continue to expand that Fair Chance hiring program from here on out. I think that's that's a perfect segue into my question, Adrian, is how are employers kind of coming to this place where they are willing to engage with your team to think about um, a more inclusive culture? And 
in, in that case, how are you helping them? Is it kind of very incremental? Like, let's just take a, a little baby step into this pool. Uh, let's take a look at, at what's happening in your ATS that's going to kick this person out as soon as they say they, they do have a history that they need to be able to discuss with you. Kind of how is it in, I love the the board. The job board is awesome. I think it's such a critical piece of making sure that um, individuals know that there are employers who are inclusive. Talk to me a little bit about how you help the employers get there, and and are there some that are already that are just coming to you and they they have it figured out on their own? Or are they all in like different parts of their journey? I guess. Yeah, uh, quite a few pieces in there, um, you know, and all, all critical to understand. So um, there's a couple of different ways, you know, and I'll start off here, a couple of different ways that we get to the initial conversation, um, you know, and, and the biggest piece of it is, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that there is, you know, a shortage of talent right now, and it doesn't make good big business sense to ignore such a vast workforce, particularly a workforce that, you know, has been demonstrated to have value, you know, to contribute to uh, a company. So, you know, that's part of the initial conversation that we're having. The other part of it as well is that when we're talking to HR departments, these are people people, you know, and there is an understanding happening now that's growing, I believe, around the fact that, you know, there are a lot of people that really deserve this chance. Uh, the number 70 million alone reflects that. Uh, but I think what it really comes down to is a matter of need for a business. Let's look at a workforce that we haven't been considering so far. And I, I guess that leads into your next question around where employers are with these, let's call them fair chance hiring policies when they get to us. Um, that varies absolutely by employer. I mean, you can look on one hand at ban the box policies that have started to be enacted, you know, in over 31 states, I believe at this point. Um, so there's already some kind of consideration happening at the hiring level. Um, and then at that same time, there's still going to be variability within that, wherein that's going to be related specifically to the industry, uh, as well as the nature of the job opportunity you know, and ultimately the fact that, you know, there is an experience here from a company's perspective. We've never really done this at scale before. So you have companies, I want to give out a shout out to, to Mod Pizza. You have companies like Mod Pizza who are, you know, more or less veterans in this space. And they've been hiring, you know, fair chance for years. They've had great success with it. They're a great example. And then you also have companies like, you know, JP Morgan Chase, just a, an industry financial that we thought, you know, up to this point, somewhat untouchable for fair chance hiring. They just announced their launch of an initiative to hire fair chance. And I think that what you're going to see with some employers, depending on the nature of the job, you know, their experience, they'll hire anyone, you know, um, they're looking at maybe some restrictions for types of background with certain types of jobs, um, you know, but they're willing and ready to go. And then, you know, what we also have on the other hand with these newer employers or employers that are newer to hiring fair chance, um, we also have kind of what, you know, a, a relative induction ceremony wherein, you know, they say, all right, look, let's give you, we have 500 jobs available right now, but let's give you 10 jobs in a couple of different cities, uh, you know, to post on your job board, you know, and fill with your community. 
And so that's usually where it starts. We start with 10, you know, five or 10 positions. And inevitably, they end up getting filled by great people with great experience, you know, who have been shown to to stick around longer, higher retention, you know, and inevitably, they're very happy with the result. And so that expands into, you know, 100, 200, 1000 job opportunities made available nationwide. Hey, so Adrian, uh, shout out to uh, Mod Pizza, that Washington state of Washington based uh, fast food uh, retail. If I'm not mistaken, Adrian, they may be one of the fastest growing franchises in the country. And and they're not really expanding just for the sake of expanding. They're very methodical. And as you mentioned a moment ago, they are absolutely committed to uh, where they were and have been and continue to be absolutely committed to making sure that they have the process right, that they are bringing people that are formerly incarcerated into the organization and providing them with a pathway to growth. They're not just bringing them in to make pizza or to clean off tables. They are actually promoting the individuals. And I think that that's important for our listeners to hear. I think it's also important for our listeners to hear that companies like JP Morgan, when you think about financial security and risk and exposure to information, yet they have still found a way to embrace where they can place this talent in the organization. You said a mouthful when you mentioned those two logos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I really, I want to you know take the time to emphasize that as well with respect to Mod Pizza, that they're offering management positions and higher, um, you know, that these are opportunities for growth that, you know, we may not consider on the outset uh, that mean the world to some of the people that we work with every day. And, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase, man, if they're doing it, um, you know, it's got to be something significant. And if they can make it happen, uh, I think a lot of other people can, too. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the website. I'm just curious, is there a mobile app or any new technology that's going to be bolted on in 2020 that people could take advantage of? Yeah, we're looking right now at launching the mobile app probably sometime next year. A big part of our focus with what we're doing is to make this process as simple and easy as possible. You know, we recognize the people who have been through, you know, the criminal justice system and back have enough barriers on their own. Uh, we want to make the job search as simple as it can be. I think that's that's a really awesome point. And mobile is is going to be the way that companies are going to have to get online to to help people be able to apply and to get to those jobs faster. I'm also interested, Adrian, in looking at your the website. You've got a lot of resources on here for applicants that help them kind of understand some of the process and break down some of those barriers of just being out of the job market for a while and how to manage that. I also noticed that you have a, a background check company that you work with and can you tell me a little bit about how that partnership worked and, and why it's so important to those that you're working with? Yeah, absolutely. So from the perspective of the resources that we offer, you know, I am of the firm belief that there can never be enough. And that's part of, you know, the reason that we partner with so many organizations who are offering just a variety of different resources, you know, from interview prep to resume building and, you know, workforce development in general, um, you know, and then we're trying to showcase that and make that as available as we can on our website for everyone who's visiting, 
you know, for example, including a resume bar- uh, builder. And then, you know, we also have a dedicated team of employment specialists where if you, you know, we don't want to be one of those websites where, you know, you go on there and you can't get a hold of a person. Um, you know, we've got a team you can call and talk to if you've got questions about an application or anything like that. Um, as far as our partnership goes with the background check company that we are working with, um, you know, one of them, shout out to Checker, uh, San Francisco, they, they, they've kind of taken on this approach of the background check doesn't necessarily have to be the barrier to entry. There are a number of different ways that we can look at background checks that don't have to be an initial ban all. Um, and I think that up to, you know, a certain point, we have had that be the case where if any kind of, you know, mark shows up on the background, that person's automatically disqualified from any job. So, you know, we've been working with uh, background check companies who have a mission statement and a focus on, you know, using the background check, not as a barrier, but as a stepping stone to diverting people to the right positions, you know, that fit in the nature of the job, you know, the background itself, fit those two together in in a kind of seamless way. We were recently at a conference in San Francisco, and there was a discussion around looking at the background check you know, looking at it holistic, that there's a story behind this too. Um, it, as many, you know, number of years as there were perhaps since the conviction, we can also look at all of the years since as, you know, t- job well done. Um, you know, so those are the kinds of things that, you know, we're engaging with and incorporating into the conversations we're having with employers in order to ensure that we're creating as fair a chance as possible for our job seekers and ensuring it's fitting in as best we can with the hiring parameters for our employer clients. You know, I think, uh, Julie, I, I'm glad that Adrian just said that. I think I'm going to reach out to Arthur Yamamoto uh, from Checker and see if uh, I can get him to to rock with us in 2020. Really, really good guy. I love what Checker is doing. And I'm glad you just said that because it reminds me that I need to I need to chat with him. I haven't talked to him since June. So Adrian, when we think about background checks, one of the the the, the data points that I uncovered as we were preparing for this conversation uh, is the National Inventory of Collateral Consequences of Conviction. I'm sure you're familiar with with them. It is for our listeners. It's an online catalog. It's a website. It's an online catalog of over 45,000 federal and state statutes and regulations that impose collateral consequences as a result of one having a conviction. And so my question becomes, what what do we do to help them? Because this is like these are barriers to housing, to employment, to uh, being able to participate in the political space. I mean, it's just a a plethora. 45,000 seems like such an insurmountable number, Um, like the odds are absolutely stacked against these that are formerly incarcerated or people with convictions. What do you say to that? I say that we have to take it one step at a time. Um, The the 45,000 number, I think, is absolutely reflective of the incredible challenges we hear uh, from the stories of our community, you know, of job seekers. It's like, I can't believe that you've been through all of that and you're still out here, you know, working as hard as you're working. So there are, you know, 
there are challenges at nearly every step of someone's reentry process. And they're operating that whole time with, you know, I'm here to do better this time. I'm here to figure this out. And as I said, it's one step at a time. And I think that we can look at that the same way, you know, as individuals who are trying to contribute or support or provide some assistance in some respect. Um, You know, for example, from an employer perspective, you know, let's take it one conversation and 10 job opportunities at a time. From, you know, an advocacy perspective, looking at organizations that are helping alleviate some of the disenfranchisement for voters, that's happening. And that work is being done. Um, You know, Florida just voted, I think it's like 1.5 or 6 something million voters, you know, re-enfranchised them because we're starting to see that these barriers don't make sense, that they're a life sentence. Um, That's a phrase you hear a lot, you know, when talking about the criminal justice reform and reentry space. It's that this, you know, this conviction, this criminal history acts as a life sentence on everything you do and every step you take through the rest of your life that you are known only for the worst thing you've ever done. So I'm going to challenge you, Adrian. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm going to challenge you because I I absolutely get it. And I think what you just said resonates with Julie as well. But we have a listener out there who is like, this is bullshit. Like, I'm not you. You did. You did the crime. And so, you know, I have zero sympathy for the fact that you have forty five thousand possible impediments to housing, to voting, to gaining occupational licensing. Like literally a lot of these folks can't even get licensed to be a barber. Like, like right. you, you, so, so what do you say to that hard nose in their workplace? And I'm not saying this in a mean way, you know, well, I kind of am, but <laughs> you know, like, what do you say to that person who has zero empathy for what we are discussing. Yeah. I I mean, I I appreciate you you asking that question because I think it's a really important thing to consider here. Um, And I think that I would ask a question in response, which would be if they have done their time as allotted by the United States criminal justice system and they get out and they, we don't give them any opportunity to better themselves what exactly do we think is going to happen? You know, that's, I think, the reality that sometimes gets missed here is that, you know, everyone I talk to isn't like, I shouldn't have gone to prison or I shouldn't have gone to jail. You know, people are like, yeah, you know, I did it and I did my time. And here I am now trying to be better, trying to get a job to provide for myself, you know, trying to work towards something better. And so I think that looking at it, I mean, you could look at it even purely from a resource perspective. You know, if you look at the statistics specifically from employment of somebody who gets out of prison or jail after serving their time, if they don't get a job almost immediately, there's an 80% chance that they're going to be rearrested for committing another crime. And, you know, when you look at it that way, it, it, it kind of it, it, it brings about this this idea of, you know, well, what are we going to do? What is a, the alternative? Right. And, you know, if somebody has served their time, how does it serve us, you know, to impose what is the equivalent of a life sentence on them and an inability to improve? Um, you know, which isn't to say that every person, you know, who's ever you know, committed a crime is perfect for every opportunity or, you know, every workplace or anything, 
you know, it, it's just that we need to consider context here. And when we look at the numbers themselves, the fact that it's 70 million people, you know, one in three people, I think that we need to kind of alleviate a little bit the, the restrictions that we put on conviction and criminal and look instead at how can we be looking forward to try to minimize the number of people who end up in prison in the first place, you know, through providing opportunities that allow for progress and rehabilitation afterwards. Yeah, I, I mean, what you're saying is just so emblematic of the the fallacy of meritocracy in this in this country. You, you did the time. Now, how? Go pull yourself up by the bootstraps and create this life and, and do all of this. And, and I will turn blindly to all of the barriers that have been put in your way because you made a mistake and you somehow have to figure out how to overcome systemic barriers that I don't recognize because of, of my privilege, my place of not having been in your shoes. And, and just that lack of engagement, I think is really, so core to how we start to have a conversation about opportunity and creating, not creating, removing barriers that are unnecessary after you've, you've completed your time um, and, and you're back out and, and need to be, right, a, a useful and productive member of society because we need the resources right now. I, I think that's just so spot on. And in, in your last part of your sentence, I think you segued so perfectly into the question I think that was on Torn and I's mind uh, for when we talked to you is how is the potential decriminalization of marijuana going to impact or, and even the potentially expunging of records going to positively impact um, such a large group of, of people as they come out into the, to the work world or who've been released and are out in the work world now struggling to get to work. And one slight correction, cannabis, not marijuana, cannabis. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Yep. Cannabis. Yep. We'll talk about that later. That, but that's, <laughs> that's one of them 1970, 1980 tricks uh, that folks put in the language to demonize people coming from Mexico. So they wanted to make marijuana sound like Tijuana. And that's that demonization of people that are coming from Mexico. So we're going to call it what it is. Cannabis. Go ahead, Adrian. Wow. I'd never heard that before. Uh, good yeah, to know. I, I, I learned something. Thank you, Torin. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think that this is a, a really significant moment. You know, generally speaking, when we're look any individual who's granted clemency and, you know, allowed freedom, you know, or, you know, uh, given freedom again, uh, I think that that's significant in and of itself. Um, I think that while we're looking at the exponential growth of the cannabis industry, um, you know, throughout the U.S. and, you know, in particular states especially, uh, we also, you know, we're looking at the one side, this is a very positive thing. You know, we're seeing, you know, we have seen that the war on drugs, let's limit it right now specifically to cannabis, was hugely problematic, um, you know, and it did nothing to curb really what they were saying the problem was, you know, which was, you know, illegal selling, illegal usage and so forth. Um, you know, so positively speaking, we're looking at, you know, somewhat of an upward pathway here where there's going to be job creation, people will be granted freedom, um, you know, and, and we'll see a boom there that I think is beneficial. 
but, but the other side of that as well is the fact that it's beneficial, you know, for whom? And, and, you know, when we look at the fact that somebody's entire life was taken away from them because of a marijuana conviction, excuse me, a cannabis conviction, you know, we know who that was. You know, it was demonizing and criminalizing, particularly people of color. And there are a lot of states who are putting policy efforts into trying to rectify that. Uh, Illinois is one in particular doing a social equity program where they are looking at granting business subsidies and so forth, specifically to people who have spent time in prison as a result of a nonviolent drug related charge. Because now what's happening is, as it's being legalized, the people who have had the resources and the privilege all along are able to start businesses and capitalize on this legalization, whereas the people who spent the last 15, 20 years in prison are getting out. There's no way that they're going to be able to start a business. Um, you know, So there is action being taken in order to address that at a state and policy level. And while I think that we can all be thrilled that we're seeing this decriminalization happen and you know the freedom for every individual that it's been granted back to, uh, that's huge and that's awesome. We also need to consider inequities here that have always been there and ensure that we are you know, keeping our eye on that as we expand and develop and support businesses in this space. So Adrian is a community uh, outreach manager for 70 Million Jobs. You can find them on Twitter at 70 Million Jobs. You can find them online at 70, that's 70 million jobs, spelled out dot com, 70 milljobs.com. Adrian, final question for you. Uh, what is it that you want our listeners to consider? I know selfishly why Julie and I had you as a guest. We really want people, I'm telling you clearly, we really, <laughs> really want people to consider using the platform, visiting the website, finding a way to share uh, the resources that you all are curating with others in their digital tribes and local communities and workplace. But what is it that you would like to offer up as closing thoughts? Yeah, thank you both for having me on, first of all. And, you know, I I just want to, you know, be really clear myself, too, that it is worth having the conversation. Um, There is nothing you can lose from considering fair chance hiring as an option. Uh, And as a matter of fact, I would argue that most of our employer clients would say there's a lot to be gained. Um, You know, we are more than happy to talk to you about the jobs you've got, the policies you have currently existent, and work with you to, to ensure that the right job opportunities are made available to millions of people who are going to do a great job in those roles. So, you know, keeping that in mind, uh, I think the conversation is key. I think that there's a lot of growth that's going to continue to happen, an incredible changing conversation happening bipartisan across the country, uh, and it's worth getting involved. Name drops, Julie. Thank you, Adrian. Go ahead, Julie. So name drop for me is just to my uh pod partner, Mr. Torn Ellis, and asking you to have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. And I'm so excited about 2020 and everything that it holds. And uh, I know that we're both looking forward to some family time. So thank you for the last year. That's been phenomenal for me, for sure, and uh, helping to grow this message together. And so 
Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all of those things to you and your wonderful family. How about you? Yeah, I appreciate that. And I take it and run with it. And while we say Merry Christmas, we think about the fact that Christmas falls in the summer over in Australia and in Iceland. They do some incredible things with ice and we got Hanukkah and we want folks in that part of the country to be extremely excited as they are spending time with family and friends. Naturally, here and abroad, we celebrate Kwanzaa. So I'm definitely excited about all of the individuals that are going to celebrate the days of Kwanzaa towards the end of the year. We got something called Boxing Day. Uh, I've never heard of <laughs> Boxing Day, but there's something called Boxing Day that happens over in the UK, Canada, Australia and New Zealand. Shout out to the folks over in Australia and New Zealand, because I will be in your cities in a couple of them in November of 2020. Stay tuned. Oh, wait, me gonna... too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And then we got this thing called Amasoka over in Japan. So all of this, what is Julie and I, what did you, you know, for Julie and I, it's just a matter of, of being as inclusive as we possibly can. And if I've missed anybody's celebration, tweet me. Like literally share it with us. We will put it on our calendar and make sure that this time next year, we celebrated. And then last but not least, a special thanks and celebration message to Julie, to your family as well. You've been an incredible partner in all of 2019. Absolutely looking forward to rocking in 2020. For now, we are ghosts. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy in the King podcast. I'm Julie Sowash, your co-host with Torn Ellis. Follow us on social media as Torn Ellis or Julie Sowash. And also follow our hashtag, Crazy and the King. This episode was produced by my gorgeous husband, Chad Sowash. And our music is by DJ Sells, straight out of Baltimore. You can find Crazy and the King wherever you find your podcasts. Please rate us. And if you like it, share it with a friend. We'll see you soon. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.